We are in a series. Uh, we're studying the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is it is a solid book, and I, and I want you. I want to encourage you to join along in studying the Word of God. So whenever we do a series on a book of the Bible, that's your cue to actually take your Bible and, and delve in and begin to love God with all of your mind, meaning that you are applying discipleship. I want, we, want you to, we want to disciple you in understanding the Word of God. Uh, Ephesians is an easy one, well, it, kind of. Like it's, it's super rich. It's super deep. Like, like Ephesians can change your life. Uh, I say it's easy because it's only six chapters, meaning that you can read it today, the whole thing. And so in this series, we're on week three right now. In this series, you have got to at least read this book once. Can you guys promise me you'll do that? Can you promise me that you'll read the book of Ephesians once? I've already read it three times since we've started the series. You read it every day. You can easily, easily eat it, read it every day. Uh, this series was put together by Pastor Michael Jones. He's kicked it off two weeks ago, and then my wife preached last week. Uh, Pastor Mandy, is, she was supposed to preach today, but she got cooties. So I'm stepping in. Um, so on, the, on, your, on your title of your bulletin, what's, what's the title say? Courage is calling to walk, what is it? Walk grace and give grace. Okay, walk in grace and give grace. Okay, that grace message is for another day. <laughs> or I'm, we're saving it for Manny, so I'm not stealing Manny's outline, so I'm, I'm doing something different. So you can scratch, scratch that out. And today's title is, What Are You Into? Okay, you can do, that's the title. Nice. And what... Pastor Michael and Pastor Mako, what they framed out in the first two weeks of this series is the importance and the significance of the city of Ephesus. It was a powerhouse in the ancient world. Now it's nothing but ruins. It was a cultural phenomenon. It, is, it was the it city. It's where you wanted to go for a good time. And now it's rubble. It had rock stars and superstars. It had, well, I didn't have American idols. We have those. It had Greek idols and Roman idols and some weird mystical idols. It was an idol culture. And it was powerful. Very powerful. Um, it had a principality of power over it. When I say principality, it had a dark and evil force that dominated the city. It was extremely wealthy. Like, everybody was rolling in the cash in Ephesus. And it was the, 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 the port city or the lead city into the Roman Empire. It was a bridge city. It was huge. And this is where you would go, again, to, to make it. If you had an entrepreneurial spirit, if you wanted to start a business, if you had an angle, if you had a product to sell, this might be the place that you'd want to set up shop. If you wanted to experience life and live life to the fullest outside of Jesus, you would go to Ephesus. It's party town. Uh, if you lived a boring, 
agricultural lifestyle. If you lived in some little town out in the middle of nowhere and you had a couple of goats and some chickens and you planted crops and like that was your life and you're like, God, this is boring. I need some entertainment in my life. You would go to Ephesus. <laughs> trying to figure out how naughty I want to be today. I'll leave it alone. Okay. But it was, it was an exciting place to be. In 1998, the University of Chicago was doing some excavations on the lower part, not in, this, not in the city you know, in and of itself, but in the lower part, and they uncovered, in a deep strata, they uncovered an artifact that tells us a lot about Ephesus. It gives us a, a glimpse into what made the city so special. And uh, it it shows us um, the cultural context of that place and then what we can learn from from an object, from a discovery. And uh, it was construction workers that found it. Construction workers were digging, and then they hit something, and then they had to call in, you know, the archaeologist, and then it messed everything up, and the construction workers were probably mad, George. their, Their schedule got called off, you know. They had to like bring in the archaeologist. And so University of Chicago came in and they started excavating. And what they found, it, it wasn't an idol, it wasn't a statue, uh, it was something completely different that we haven't quite seen before. It was a crimson textile. And on this crimson textile, which was well-preserved, and that's rare to have a textile that is preserved uh, for that long. First century, so you know, about the time of Paul, about the time of Jesus, um, on this crimson textile was an insignia. There was a slogan, a saying. And this slogan said, my kids went to Ephesus and all I got was this lousy shirt. <laughs> the Chicago thing, I made that up. So the point is, this is the tourist town. This is where you would, you know, if you went to Ephesus, you would get a statue of Artemis. Kind of like if you go to New York City, you get one of those globe, you know, the snow globes, right? <laughs> With the Empire State Building. Uh, if, you go to, if you go to Hall, oh, I should have got it. Ding. I know I forgot something. I forgot something very important. Uh, Jim LeJudice has an, an Oscar, that, that, a mold of an Oscar that he probably, um, I don't know, I, he probably shouldn't have it. <laughs> uh, but like we have, we have an Oscar upstairs in the kids' ministry area, an actual idol from Hollywood. Or, you know, you go to Las Vegas. What kind of trinkets do you buy in Las Vegas? I wouldn't know. Magnets, um, keychains with the bottle opener on it. Regret. Regret. (laughs) Regret, yeah. So you get the idea. You know, it's an ancient city. Like, culturally, like, if we were in a time machine and we drop into Ephesus, we would be like, this place is so weird. But then we would get used to it. Then we would say, oh, yeah, but this is what, this is what we have in our culture. This is the Hollywood Boulevard. Just just different. Oh, this is, uh, this is Las Vegas. It's just different. Oh, this is Disneyland. It's just different. So we, 
humans are pretty much the same. Like we do this, we, we repeat the same patterns, we repeat the same sins. We just put them in different packages and we worship different idols. I mean, you might not be bowing down to a gold statue in, your, in the nook of your, of your living room, but maybe you have an idol of a different sort. Anything that you put above your affections for Christ is technically an idol. And so this is what Paul is dealing with in this city, and in this city that loves their idols. Uh, there was one very popular one, and fortunately, I can't show it to you because it wouldn't be appropriate to show in church. But everybody had the silver statue of Artemis. And, and what, what Pastor Michael and Mako highlighted is that when Paul came into the city of Ephesus to set up a church, a powerful church, frankly, it's probably about the same size as ours. Maybe even in a setting like this. They didn't have a physical church building, but what they did have um, were villas. They had open-air seating. They had, a, they had a sanctuary, if you will. So, you know, the church would have felt very different than our church culturally, musically. Um, Paul Watt probably would have preached for like three hours. And yet, if we'd spend a little time in that ancient place, once we got used to the culture, we would be like, oh yeah, I, I recognize the move of the Holy Spirit here. Oh yeah, I recognize the Word of God here. Oh yeah, I recognize uh, the, the gift of fellowship here. Like We would get used to it real quick once we got past the cultural trappings. It would feel like home. The church of Ephesus would feel like home to you. Isn't that exciting? I think it is. And what this little church did is they bankrupted the entertainment industry in Ephesus. <laughs> like, people were turning to Jesus so fast and so hard that people weren't wasting their monies on the gold Artem or the silver Artemis statues anymore. They weren't going to the shows that didn't glorify God anymore. They weren't wasting their time at the roulette table anymore. They were worshiping God. And it created a financial crisis in the city. Like, they didn't want to beat Paul up because Paul was preaching a new religion. In fact, he wasn't preaching a new religion. He was preaching that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, that this is... This is this is the continuation of what was prophesied and what was promised. What was prophesied and what was promised is seen in the person of Jesus. And this is what Paul is teaching. He is not doing something new. He's not doing something fancy. He is just realizing that he is in the place of fulfillment of the Word of God. Where all the promises are narrowing down. They, they come full head into the personhood of Jesus. And now it's the time and the age of the church. He, he, he gets it. And so, the people of Ephesus, they didn't want to kill Paul because he was teaching a new religion. They could care less about that. They wanted to kill Paul because Paul was messing up their economy. It was a money thing. It usually is, right? It was a money thing. 
You know, the, these merchants and these craftsmen and these idol makers, they're like, this guy is wrecking my business. Let's go beat him up. You know what's fascinating about this story? Is that in the Word of God, we have the teachings of Paul, which are powerful. When we see that his teachings point us to Jesus, they are transformative. With the exception of Jesus himself, Paul is, one of the, is the most influential individual on the planet. Not only did this group of, of believers, the same size as our church, not only did they change a city, but the gospel message of Jesus Christ changed the world. And where is Ephesus now? It's rubble. And at that, in that time, it was considered powerful. It was considered strong. Nothing could break it down. I mean, you saw the pictures, how beautiful it once was. And now, like, you probably wouldn't even have heard of Ephesus unless you're a churchgoer or, you know, an ancient scholar, a Greek geek. It has no, no impact on society today. But the Word of God does. The truth of the Lord, the Lord, the Word of God does. So, how did they do it? How did Paul's message about the gospel of Jesus Christ that solidified the unity of believers, both Jew and Greek, by the way, that's another part of his letter to these people. He's trying to get Jews and Greeks to like each other. He's trying to get people that come from different backgrounds and different expressions and, and different ways of thinking. He's trying to get them to become one. He's trying to get them to, to, to form solidarity and unity. And they did. And because of that unity, it transformed an entire culture. How did they do that? How, how can we do that? How did Paul transform an entire culture? All right, get your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians 1. Okay, this might be a little bit difficult, so you're going to have to pay attention. Um, unfortunately, language gets lost in translation. I love my NIV because I've memorized most of my Bible scriptures from that version, but your version of what we're about to read, uh, some little details that are actually really important, uh, might have gotten lost in translation. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible that you may be carrying right now is heretical. I'm, it, it just, sometimes we have to delve in a little deeper and read different versions, uh, do a deep dive into the, into the Word of God to figure out like, what is truly being communicated. So, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints, okay, and this is a New American Standard Bible. This is not my typical NIV. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful 
in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, If you've been a part of our church for a while, and if we have your birthday, and if we have your anniversary day, if you've been married, and you, you might get a birthday card or an anniversary card from me. And my salutation is blessings. I, I pray that God blesses you. I pray that he blesses you richly. But more importantly, when I say blessings on your salutation, I mean every spiritual blessing. If you get blessed with a Ferrari, what's more important, the blessing of the Ferrari or a spiritual blessing? Okay. So this is what I'm praying for. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us, okay, ready for this? In him, before the foundation of the world. All right, how many people like writing in their Bibles? You don't feel like it's a desecration or an abomination to the Word of God? So how many people like to underline, highlight, write in the columns? Okay, today is the day that you are going to write in your columns, because this is important. I mean, it just went right over your head what I just read, most likely. Okay? He chose us, and then I want you to underline, if you don't have it, if they translated it weak, write it in. In him. Just that word. In him. In him. Your translation might have skipped that. But Paul is making a point when he uses those two words, in him. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And they push it a little bit here, and in him. In him, in love, okay? He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of God, the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. Again, there's this idea of in him. We are in the beloved. To the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he has favored us in the beloved. Again, verse 7. In him we have what? Redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings and according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He has made us known. He has made known to us the mysteries of 
of his will according to his good pleasure which he set before which he set forth and again in him underline again if it's not in your translation write it in regarding his plan of the fullness of time to bring all things together in Christ things in heaven and things on earth verse 11 again in him underline it or fill it in in him we also have obtained what inheritance amen having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will i don't know about you i want to be inside of god's will because when you're inside of God's will, what does he promise? He promised to work all things for our good as long as we are in his will. This is the Romans 8 passage as well. So Paul is rehashing this, this idea again. Look, this is, this is be in him and inside of God's will. In accordance with the plan of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be greatly praised for his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, how do you, how do you listen to the message of truth? From a scholarly mind? From a critical vantage point? Um, through reason and deduction? How do you listen to the word of God? You have to do it in him. In him, you also are listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed. Well, what's the next word? In him, with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all of the saints, do not cease in giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the Lord... God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Um, Proverbs also says that wisdom is supreme, so that at all costs, whatever you do, you must get wisdom. Not knowledge, not information, not data, not degrees, not money, not influence, <clears throat> wisdom is supreme. And it is offered here to us as a gift. He may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what it is the hope of him calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? and what it is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. 
These are in accordance with the workings of the, of the strength of his might, which he had bought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, and to put all things in subjugation under his feet, and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in. So it's almost as if Paul is getting a little redundant, because he keeps on saying, it's almost like he can't say it enough, in him, in him, in him, in him. My other salutation, if you get a birthday card from me or an anniversary card from me, is that I will sign it in him. Why? It's because I know the importance and the power and the strength, the, the emotional health, when we make the choice to be in him in everything that we do in every thought, in every action, in every attitude, in every feeling. You almost need to say, am I in Jesus right now? Is, is he in me? Am I doing this in the name of Jesus? He goes on to repeat it, this very simple two-word sentence, all throughout Ephesians. In Ephesians 3.12, he says, it, he says this, In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So how do you come into the confidence of the Lord? Maybe, you're a little, um, maybe your self-esteem is wavering a little bit. Maybe you're not quite sure if God loves you. Maybe, maybe you are in a season of doubt and frustration. Maybe you don't... Maybe you don't trust God, or maybe you don't trust God's people. It is bred inside of you a little insecurity about this whole thing that we call Christianity, this whole thing about walking with the Lord. Do you know how you get over that? You get over that by being in Him, and He is in you. When you are in Him and He is in you, um, you, you shouldn't be insecure. I don't have time to read the scriptures, but he goes on to say, uh, don't be tossed in the waves back and forth like ships that are being dashed against the rocks and the sea. The believer is to walk in confidence and security. We are to enter into the holy place secure and secure and, and knowing that we are loved by God. You get to approach the throne of grace with faith if you are asking yourself these very important questions. Am I, am I in him? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. 
But God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though that we are dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Amen? That should give you confidence. For if he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus, so can God point us to in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ. If you are feeling unloved, if you're feeling rejected, if you're feeling hopeless, God wants to lavish love and grace upon us. He wants to, he's calling us, this is a great invitation, this is probably the most powerful invitation in all scripture. We have the invitation, of course, to receive the salvation of our souls. But we also get the invitation to sit with Jesus at his right hand, with him, like side by side, almost as if we are in him. It's exciting. God saved you with his grace when you believed. I'll read it again. God saved you with his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. Shoot. I thought I've done a lot of good things. So none of us can boast. For we are God's masterpiece. Other translations say that we are God's workmanship. Um, His handiwork. Probably the best way to say it is that we are God's co-creators. When we are in Him and He is in us, um, the, the, the way that he sees us as being a masterpiece, as being his workmanship, as being um, in his desire, Christ-like, like a carbon copy of who Jesus is. This is who he sees us to be. Whether we act like that or do that or not, that's, that's up to us. But he sees us in some ways as he would see his son. The Lord sees us the way that he would see Jesus as having the innate ability to create something good. Did you know, by default, if you are a believer, you are a creator. Why? Because you are made in the image of God, imago Dei. Now, you know why that this idea of, of, of being made in God's masterpiece, when he is in us, the creator God is in us, do you know why that's important? Because, well... Some of you have got some big, giant, hairy problems. And they are way beyond you. And the only way, the only way that these big, giant, hairy problems, the only way that they're going to be solved is if the Creator God is inside of you, and then you go in partnership with the Creator God, 
and you come up with a creative solution that the only the Holy Spirit can come up with. You should not be hopeless in a hopeless situation. I know that sometimes we find ourselves in hopeless situations. This is when you call upon the Holy Spirit and you say, get inside me, Holy Spirit. I need a solution here. I need the mind of Christ to problem solve this. I need, I need to be an artist. Can you be an artist? Can you be a creator? Can you create with God? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he'd planned for us long ago. One of the fascinating things about Ephesians is this um, destiny language. It's like he's planned, he's planned for you before you were even born. Before the foundations of the earth, he had you in mind. I don't quite understand how that all works. I just know that that's what the Word of God says, is that He has predestined us to serve Him and to do good works on His behalf. Ephesians 1 is another important secret. Uh, 1 verse 7. I'd already read it, but I'm going to read it again. This is the different version. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He has showered us with his kindness along with all wisdom and understanding. So back to the question. How did Paul, how did the church in Ephesus, how did they bankrupt a demonic system? How did they do it? How did they transform an entire culture? How did they do it? It's just two simple words. They were in Him. They were in Jesus, and Jesus was in them. That's how they did it. I can tell you what Paul didn't do. Um... You know, Paul always had an apprentice. He always had somebody tagging along a side of him, and he always had, you know, somebody that he was discipling. He always had his Padawan learner. Let's just imagine that this young man, um, you know, was probably about, you know, 16, young guy. And Paul says, All right, hey, we have a new assignment. We're going to Ephesus. We're going to set up a church in Ephesus. We're going to minister to the Ephesians. So in my imagination, this is not biblical, by the way. This is just me uh, imagining something. My, my uh, active imagination would say that this young man was like, yes, we're going to Ephesus. We're going to go to party town. Finally, I'm tired of preaching all these podunk little... Uh, towns out in the middle of nowhere. Now we're going to have some fun. And then Paul, drag, Paul pulls him aside and said, no, son, we're not going to Ephesus to spin the roulette table. We're not going to Ephesus for the shows. We're not going to Ephesus for the souvenir trinkets. 
we're going to walk the streets and we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to tell people that they're not only going to heaven if they accept Jesus, but that heaven will actually come to earth if they accept Jesus. The reason why Ephesus broke that principality that was so dark over that culture. The reason why it was broke is because there were a few people that had Jesus inside of them. Again, this is what Paul did not do when he went to Ephesus. He didn't go to the shows, right? Because they had shows. They had great music. They had great entertainment. He didn't go. He wasn't pulling the one-armed bandits. He had a different mission. He had a mission to save an impossible people to save. Like, could you imagine trying to save Hollywood? Could you imagine trying to save Las Vegas? Could you imagine trying to save Times Square? Did you know that there's people, we have brothers and sisters that are trying right now? We have bold brothers and sisters that are walking those streets. Years ago, I did that in in Vegas, and it was, frankly, it was challenging. Nobody wanted to hear the good news. They had better things to do with their time, and they had better things to do with their money. But not the church of Ephesus. Okay, not only were they in him, they were all in for him. Amen? They were all in for him. And they were in the world, and you know the rest of it. They were in the world, you finish it, but they were not of the world. That is what we have to do. What does that look like for us as a culture? Can't, what does it look like for you to be in this world, in this present evil age? What does it look like for you to be in this world, but not of this world? What does it look like for you as an individual? How are you going to be in the world and not of the world? Let me ask you this question. Do you have any idols in your life? I know you don't have a silver Artemis. But what do you have that you are into? Oh, (laughs) was that a tough one? What are you into? Let me, come on, think about it. What are you into? What's your thing? What's your jam? Is it sports? Is it art? Is it movies? What are you into? What do you like? What are you into? Video games? Making money? Traveling the world? Sleeping around? What are you into? Whatever it is that you are into, if it takes a higher priority to being into Jesus, then you just might have an Artemis on your shelf. You just might have an idol that you're worshiping. You guys okay? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Because we all, now, I've had conversations with you. And I've seen your conversations on Facebook and Instagram. You You want things to change, yeah? Like, you want the world to change. You want our, you want the government to change. You want to see change. We all do. We want to see the world become a better place because it feels like it's falling apart. We all want to see change. But if we take Paul's example, 
that one simple thing of being in Him. Look, the truth of the matter is, very few of us can change the world. But you can change yourself. When you are in Him, you can change yourself. You, you can't change the world, but you can change the little world that you have created, the little world that is around you. I would say, figure out how to be in Him, and He is in you, and then this little circle that is around you, your little world that you interact with almost every day, like if they are seeing and witnessing the hope that you have, if they are seeing and witnessing the kingdom of God that's being expressed and emanating from you, well, you're in the transformation business. That's exciting. And if you're able to transform the world around you and transform yourself by being in Jesus and He in you, having the mind of Christ. And if we are in a community of people that have the same conviction and have the same discipline to be in Jesus, no matter what the cost, to be all in and to to put away the idols, if if we all did that here, this entire culture would transform. Like, I believe that with all my heart. Claremont, Upland, Laverne, Pomona, Montclair, San Dimas, Rancho Cucamonga, Fontana, Ontario. The whole thing would transform if we were just all in, all in Jesus. Complete unity. Why is that so hard to believe? You know that you are in Christ when people are curious about your confidence when everything is hitting the fan. People know that you're in Christ when you face a tragedy and a hardship, and yet you still have a joy that doesn't make sense. People see that. People see it. They know that you're in Christ when depression doesn't get under your skin and run your life. They know. You also know that you are in Jesus when you are being persecuted. When was the last time you were persecuted? Like, it's just warfare. Let's just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. It's part of the deal. It's part of the game. It's not not a game. But it's what Jesus promised us, if we are in him, that we will be persecuted. Like, Like, are we being persecuted? Are we all in? If you're all in, then you just might be persecuted. I don't know. At least in this country, low grade for now. Some low grade persecution. Some people might make fun of you. Some people might... um, you know, say bad words or something. I... <laughs> I'm just going to stand here. <laughs> There's a reason why Paul said, in him, in him, in him, through him, because of him, all of these promises of the Old Testament were fulfilled through him and by him. Like, being in him is a big deal. Let's do it. Like, let's just do it. Let's just be in Jesus. Let's just be in him. Let's just recognize that 
Everything is in him. I don't have time to talk about it, but did you catch that part that all powers and all authorities are subject to him? Like, that's why Ephesus fell. That's why it crumbled to pieces. That's why, they're at, that's why their statues don't stand anymore. Someday our, um, our Oscar little statues, somebody, you know, if, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next thousand years or so, uh, some, some archaeologist is going to dig up a, a, an Oscar statue. And he's like, oh my gosh. The center of their civilization. The most, they must have bowed down and worshipped this thing. Some people do. They would make a big deal about it. That's not a big deal. It's a tourist trap attraction. Yeah. Jesus has all power and all dominion. That's why his word has lasted so long. That's why... The Gospels, the Epistles, the entire New Testament. That's why it has outlasted and outdone anything that Ephesus could produce. We are not singing the songs of Ephesus anymore. And someday we will not sing Taylor Swift songs. But we will sing Gospel songs. All right. If I get the band to come up to the front. Sorry if I offended you on the Taylor Swift thing. I know we have some, we have some Swifties. Oh, I need communion. Wait, there we go. There's one right here. Now, I am not saying that entertainment is bad. I think that entertainment and enjoying yourself, enjoying some good music, enjoying a good show... Like, we're to live life, we're to enjoy these things. That's how God's created us. If you like to go to Las Vegas to go to a good show, go to Las Vegas, go to the good show, just bring Jesus with you. Don't make it an idol. I'm not saying that Hollywood and watching movies is bad. I'm just saying watch a movie with your kids and have a God conversation afterwards. Bring Jesus into the picture. Bring him into the conversation. Have God conversations about your entertainment that you allow to come into your house or that you go to. You go to a cool concert, bring Jesus with you. Do you know that some people are the most open to hear the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ after a concert, after the high is done? Like, they're open. They want, they want, they want another. They, they're, they're curious. The music has uh, stirred something in their spirit. They realize that they're more than just a nine to five, that there's more to something to life when they see something expressed creatively. So just introduce them to the great creator. Just bring Jesus to your concerts. Just be in him in everything that you do. And then you won't have any idols. You know, and he he will give you grace. He's going to give you more grace. Manny's going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. He's going to give you more grace. Let's just be aware of where we place our priorities and our powers and our our hearts.
I hear that the Lutherans have easier communion cups to open. We got the charismatic communion cups. They're always hard to open and seem to be a little more complicated. (laughs) This is the body of Christ. To be in him, we have to be in this. And this is the most powerful, transforming thing that we can do all week is choose to receive the body of Christ in us and knowing that we are his hands and feet when we are in him. His hands and feet to do good works for his glory and not our salvation. Amen? You don't do good works for your salvation. You do good works for the glory of God. If you have to have some type of an exchange, uh, do it for a jewel in your crown. Do it for treasures in heaven. Instead, I would just say do it because you're obedient. Do it because you understand the price that was paid for the salvation of your soul. You do it for the glory of God. Be a part of the body of Christ. Be his hands and feet and do good deeds and do good works solely for the glory of God. Not your ego, not so that people can see. Do it for the glory of God. Let's get the body of Christ inside of us now. But God, He is rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins. He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. No. We are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he has planned for us long ago. And this is the reason why we get to do it. This is the blood of Christ washing away all of our sins, washing away and demolishing all of our idols. Let's just pour his blood into our body and into our veins and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to run through us, cleansing us of all impurities and all sins so that we can become new. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins.
love offering for nativity because frankly we need it so um nativity is obviously a huge transformational event that we do in our community and if you haven't got your nativity tickets yet your free nativity tickets somebody had the bright idea of charging one year and there was almost a mutiny uh but we we need we need the donations but here's the good news um well, it, it might not be good news. You're going to need to get your tickets now if you haven't gotten your tickets yet. Over half of them have already been sold out so, or sold. So all the prime spots are gone. So you, if you want to join the Nativity, you need, to, you need to probably get on your phone and get that done today. But Nativity, every year we do it, I know I say the same thing. It is a powerful declaration to our community that we're celebrating the virgin birth and the deity of Jesus Christ. We are going, we have over, we have 2,500 guests as of today that are going to come and see it. They're going to come and hear the gospel. Maybe they've already heard the gospel. I guarantee you they're bringing a friend that hasn't. And it is important that we make that declaration in this geographical area. Because much like Ephesus, there is a spiritual void all around us. We are a light on the hill. And you get to be a part of that light on the hill. I would really, really, really love to do Nativity next year. I would like to do Nativity well this year. But that depends upon you and how generous you can be and if you're able to uh, give. If you can't give, please. I'm not, it's not a sales pressure tactic. I don't want to lead out of manipulation and guilt and fear. But if you have the ability to be generous, this is the one that you want to be generous on. This is the seed that you want to sow because it's going to transform our community. God bless you as you give. Uh, your love offering to nativity and let me send you off with the blessing may God the God of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole body your whole soul and your mind may they be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ may your whole body and soul and mind may they be in Jesus Christ in this season. The one who has called you, the one who has predestined you before the foundations of the earth, he has called you into a glorious calling to do good works. And he loves you and he's pouring out his love and his kindness upon you that is beyond measure. God bless you guys. If you are an able-bodied person, if you have any muscles in your body at all, 
I'm going to ask that you love God with all of your body right now and start stacking chairs and helping us flip this room for how many times have we flipped the room this week? A lot, five times. We got to flip it one more time. So if you could help us flip the room for our Thanksgiving dinner, I uh, hope that you can make it. God bless.